0: Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Endo from Students Rising Above, and this is How I Made My Path. This podcast is dedicated to amplifying the voices of diverse working professionals. Every episode, you'll hear exclusive conversations that bridge experiences between students and professionals, offer new insights on career paths, and uncover ways of unlocking your full potential. These professionals made their own paths. You can too, take it from them. episode of how I made my path we're joined by SRA board member Maurice Brewster as founder and chief executive officer of mosaic global transportation Maurice is responsible for mosaic Global's strategy for growth public relations profitability and the vision for the brand he founded mosaic global in January 2002 and brings more than 43 years of experience in business management, sales, and brand management in successful global companies, including DuPont, General Telephone and Electronics, Sprint, PageNet, and Verizon Inc., formerly MCI Communications, and remains active in Mosaic Global's expansion and growth. In this episode, we discuss the importance of lifelong learning, insights into starting your own business, and more. This is how Maurice made his path. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you don't mind, can you introduce yourself and share how you would describe your career path?
1: Sure. My name is Maurice Brewster. I am the CEO and founder of Mosaic Global Transportation. Uh, Mosaic has been in business. uh, We're celebrating our 20th year this January. Uh, Prior to that, I was a corporate business person, uh, achieving levels up to the vice president level of um, some major corporations here in the United States, uh, and just took all of those skills and all of the things that I learned at these major corporations and bundled them together and started uh, Mosaic Global Transportation in 2021. Excuse me, 2001.
0: That's great. Yeah, it's so awesome that you're able to kind of pull from your varied experiences. Um, I'm kind of curious, when you were a teen or a young adult in college, were there any experiences you felt like influenced your career decisions?
1: Um, Most definitely. Um, I was super, I grew up in Harlem. Uh, I was so impressed with the uh, Black bankers that came into Harlem. Uh, They were well-respected. They were well dressed. Um, people listened to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I always wanted to be around money. So I figured that's a perfect career, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, to be a banker. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so uh, most of my uh, development in high school and then moving into college, I thought I wanted to be a banker. But then I found out bankers didn't make a whole lot of money. So I, I chose a different <laughs> path. Uh
0: huh. And you mentioned, you know, you had this kind of business career before your entrepreneurial one, um, and I'm curious, like, what specific um, positions and roles you've you've held in the past that you feel like have prepared you for your entrepreneurial journey?
1: Sure, um, I started uh, the first job I had straight out of college was with the DuPont company out of Wilmington, Delaware, and uh, I was with them for eight years, and um, they did a great job in developing my professionalism. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, I was a good talker. I was a good communicator, but they were able to groom me and to um, shape and mold me into being a professional communicator. And I was in the engineering photo products department of, of DuPont. So my job was to speak to engineers and architects in Southern California. Uh, and to market and sell the engineering products that DuPont sold to uh, major organizations like Hughes Aircraft, McDonnell Douglas, and, and, and those type companies. So Ed helped me develop my professionalism, and I knew I was always good at sales. Uh, and I stayed in that arena of sales, sales uh, national sales, management of salespeople. Up to uh, all the way up to the vice president of sales and, and major corporations here in Silicon Valley. Uh, I ended up moving from Southern California up north. But all of those things prepared me to have the confidence uh, to be able to say, if I could make these companies hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, I figured I could do good for myself. And uh, that's when in 2001, I looked at my wife and I said, I think this is the time to, if any, to start a career that I can control and that I can develop as hard as I want to work. And that's when we started Mosaic Global Transportation. And that's how we started it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And you mentioned the company has been around for nearly 20 years now, which is so awesome. Can you share kind of what inspired you to start this specific business? Like what was the original kind of opportunity you saw aside from, you know, feeling equipped to, to take on that new venture?
1: Well, my wife took me to a Father's Day car show. It was in Palo Alto and it was an antique car show. It, it, it used to happen every year around Father's Day and then it would move to Monterey for the Concourse car show. And we were walking around uh, Stanford university because that's where the car show was Mm -hmm. where we live and it hit me like a ton of bricks I I, I turned to her and I said look at these beautiful cars we can take these cars and do something what nobody else was doing at the time by providing these vehicles for weddings and special events now my wife thought (laughs) all I wanted was (laughs) Rolls-Royce because these were Rolls-Royce vintage cars Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but no, I, I mean, honestly, i would be nice to drive a Rolls Royce, but it really just came upon me that this would be a way for me to be able to start a business in the transportation space, doing what I love, which is dealing with and talking to people and providing a service that nobody else is doing. So after much thought, prayer and debate,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: she supported me and mm-hmm. we started uh, Mosaic Global Transportation.
0: Yeah, that's that's so cool that you had like a aha moment, like a light bulb went off and it was, it was
1: definitely an aha moment. Most definitely.
0: I feel like a phrase that's pretty common, like thrown around is the entrepreneurial spirit. And kind of the cornerstones of that to me anyway is kind of approaching thinking that actively seeks out like change and problem solving. Um, which obviously you found that niche kind of in the transportation space to you what What does having an entrepreneurial spirit mean? And has that kind of changed over time now that you're 20 years in?
1: Well, I had this ability and capability to take any assignment that was given to me within the corporate structure. Mm -hmm. So working at DuPont or working at GTE or working at Sprint or working at MCI, which is now Verizon. I, I had the ability to be able to take those assignments and do what an entrepreneur does. And that's being a, a business person within the confines of somebody else owning the business. But acting as though it was my franchise, it was my business. And that was the ultimate motivation for me to be successful because I knew that my success within the organization's depended on my ability to be able to take those skills, those God-given skills, and the skills that I was trained and learned to develop and to get people to say yes to me. And I was really good at that. <laughs> so being a good entrepreneur uh, just gave me the confidence of saying, if I could be an entrepreneur and be successful with these major corporations, I could be a good entrepreneur and have my own business and run my own company. And that's what it was. It was being able to take those assignments and act as though they were my own for my own success. No one had to motivate me because I knew if I worked harder, I would be more successful. If I worked smarter, I would make more money. I would Mm -hmm. grow up the ladder. And that's what I did, uh, you know, up to a, a level of vice president. And that's when I then said, I like the title of president and CEO. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right. so that's what I did. I jumped in, you know, and and I will tell you, though, that you can have entrepreneur, intrapreneur skills and desires and not really be a good business person. Mm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you could be a good salesperson, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be a good manager and a developer of people. I was lucky that I had, I, I had some good core skills. I had some good developed skills. And some good God-given talent that allowed me to bundle all those things together and motivate people to want to get on the uh, the, the train uh, mm-hmm. going in the right direction, which was a direction that I felt would would bring us success. And uh, we've been blessed. We've had we've had twenty years of success. We've had our ups and downs because of the recessions and the Great Recession and most recently uh, COVID. But we've been able to make it through because of good, solid uh, education, uh, which was key, good, solid mentorship, and just um, the ability uh, and and the knowledge and confidence of knowing that I could get through anything.
0: Yeah, I really love the confidence bit because it seems like you knew what you were good at. You know, you've been um, kind of tapping into those gifts earlier on in your career, so it's really great. I think there is like a level of self awareness that has to happen prior to jumping in. I'm sure.
2: Absolutely.
0: Um, yeah. And like for current college students who maybe haven't had, you know, the experience in the corporate space yet, um, but are interested in pursuing kind of more entrepreneurial um, experiences, do you have any like specific advice for them to help prepare for those those types of experiences?
1: Well, the what, what I was able to do in school, uh, both in high school and in college, was get um, assignments in companies to be able to actually work uh, and use what I was learning in school to work for a company. Uh, and I did that in college. Well, in high school, I did it working for Macy's, mm-hmm. which really didn't teach me very much. But. <laughs> <laughs> I was an elevator operator in New York City mm-hmm. in the original Macy's store. But, but, you know, it still taught me you need to show up on time. You need to show up properly. You need to dress appropriately. You need to be able to uh, communicate with the um, store, um, folks coming into the store to buy uh, merchandise. So th- that mm-hmm. was good. But what really happened was I got internships. And mm-hmm. internships are key because that's giving you the ability to be able to learn what it's like working for a corporate conglomerate. And for me, I, I was able to work two years in my sophomore and junior year, I worked for Dun & Bradstreet uh, in New York City, on, down, downtown on Wall Street. And that gave me an incredible learning curve. To be able to see what it's like to work for a major corporation, and and of course having that then opened up tons of doors for me because I was able to not only have good grades, um, a good presentation, a good resume, but then I had practical experience of Mm -hmm. working for a a company called you know a company like Dun and Bradstreet. So that gave me what I needed in order to um, land my 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 first job out of college, which was with uh, DuPont.
0: Yeah, I'm a part of the career development team at SRA. So when you said internships, instantly smiled, because that's definitely something we encourage our students to partake in, just because it does give you that practical experience and the network, you know, um, being able to network with folks. So Thanks for mentioning that. Sure. You mentioned, you know, the highs and lows of owning a business there, you know, it's kind of granted most businesses will have their highs and lows. Do you mind sharing some of those moments um, with the folks?
1: Would you like me to share the lows or the highs? <laughs> <You> <laughs> I've can got start both. With <laughs> you start with the highs. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I mean, we, you know, we run a ground transportation company. We move the employees of major corporations here in Silicon Valley from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. So some of the highs have been the fact that we um, have contracts with. Uh, companies like Johnson & Johnson, with uh, uh, Apple, with Facebook, with Merck, with IBM,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, with J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, all of these companies uh, believed in uh, our ability to be able to provide ground transportation services, safe ground transportation services for their employees. So uh, the highs of my entrepreneurial 20 years is the fact that I've got a who's who list of corporations that say yes to mosaic global transportation. The lows that I've had uh, had uh, everything to do with our economy. And mm-hmm. um, um, you know first, you know again, we started in 2002, late 2001, but really we launched in 2002. Uh, the first low was, uh, the recession that happened in 2008. Mm-hmm. And we've been through now um, three recessions and a pandemic. And those were all lows. <laughs> they were bad right. times. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, what, what you learned from that as, as an entrepreneur, as the chief executive officer, you need to make changes immediately
2: mm-hmm. in
1: order to get into survival mode. And since we had gone through that, Uh, Well, since I had the book knowledge of it in 2008, and then the other recessions leading to the Great Recession leading to the pandemic, I had learned that you need to spend money only when necessary. Uh, You need to trim staff, which is unfortunate. And you need to uh, limit your exposure and work with your creditors so that they understand because they know what we're going through in the economy. So that, that it's not oblivious to them. So um, being able to be honest and open and communicative with them to let them know that, hey, I'm gonna get through this just like you're gonna get through this and I just need some assistance and help. So having, having transparency and honesty and, and, and all those things along with the fact that I'm doing everything I need to do to trim down my company so that I can get through um, this tumultuous time. Those are the things that we had to do, the lows of the low that we had to do um, uh, in order to survive. And COVID was worse because in the recession, at least you had, in the recessions, at least you had some kind of business going on. Mm -hmm. Well, in COVID, no one was traveling. No mm-hmm. one was coming to San Francisco in the Bay Area. No one, no businesses were traveling. Apple, Google, Facebook, Merck, Johnson and Johnson, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, all of them shut down. Everyone started working from home. That means no one was using our services, so our cars uh, and our uh, were, were not moving, and uh, which means that we couldn't employ the employees, the drivers that. The only way they make money is by driving. So they had to be furloughed or laid off. So that was tough, but um, there by the grace of God, we were able to make it through it. We had good relationships with uh, our key corporations and they helped us through this time. And um, that was the ability for us to continue to have, uh, coming to our employees so that they could pay their bills, they could have food on the table and and not worry about um, you know, this terrible uh, pandemic that we just, that we're still going through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those. Yeah. I was definitely going to bring up the pandemic because obviously all sectors and industries were affected some more than others. And I feel like there's, there's value in companies and organizations that are able to be agile and innovative while also kind of staying true to their mission do you feel like there's any kind of pivoting that you all had to do that offered some lessons learned that you'll take on in the future?
1: For the pandemic?
0: hmm
1: Yeah, yeah. We, again, so we move people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a ground transportation company that moves people. We turned into a ground transportation company that moved things. We started moving packages and we started moving mail. We had some extra... Um, time and people. And, and again, some of our corporations uh, through the pandemic paid portions of the contract. So we still had some money coming in. So we were able to offer our services to FEMA and to the first responders and to the doctors and nurses that had to work double shifts and triple shifts in order to take care of the ill. So we pivoted to be able to provide the services as we could, and then to have some more income coming in during these tough times. Because if you think about it, every one of the major corporations that had to shut down, they all had mail still coming into their facilities. Mm -hmm. And that mail was piling up like you wouldn't believe. It had to be distributed to buildings and to places and to people so that the mail, uh, so that they could do what they could do from home. Mm-hmm. So we were able to be, uh, in essence, uh, a messaging company, uh, a mini Federal Express or a mini <laughs> UPS uh, mm-hmm. over here at Mosaic Global Transportation, and that worked out. That worked out well for us.
0: Yeah, that's really awesome how you are able to pivot and, you know, keep keep kind of money coming in in really uh, creative ways. That's really awesome to hear. I'm kind of curious too, like what it's like to be your own boss. Like there is, you know, the responsibility of your employees and of course the business and the health of the business, but is there anything that you'd like to share about what it's like being your own boss?
1: It's a lot of responsibility. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's fun to say that you're, you're, you're the, you're the chief guy, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's fun to say that I'm the founder and CEO of the company, but it comes with a lot of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Think about it. We have 126 employees that work for us, and they are depending on the decisions that my wife and I make for their livelihood, for their ability to put their kids through school, for their ability to pay rent, pay mortgages, for their ability to put food on the table. So, um, you know, with um, great success comes great responsibility, and, and, and that weighs heavy on every decision that I make within the company. Uh, is this decision going to help build the company, grow the company, which is going to help build the employee and help build the employee's ability to make more money within the company? Because as as, as well as we do, our employees should do well as in effect. They should do as well as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should grow as we're growing. So that's you know, the number one responsibility for me is to make sure that the decisions that I make are the right decisions that help the company grow and it help the employees grow and expand and learn and do, do better. So that's um, a heavy responsibility if you think about it. Um, it. It's not a selfish responsibility. It's something that you have to make decision that's in the best interest of the company, but also that benefits the employees.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's nice to know that you do care so deeply because I don't, I don't think all founders of companies necessarily think that way. So it's, it's nice to hear you say that and um, that you genuinely care. Well, it's um, a part
1: of our core values. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, you know we, we, we have core values and, and one of the core values is to, was respect. I treat everyone in the company the way you want to be treated. So I know how I want to be treated.
2: Right. (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, So my job is to make sure that I treat my employees that same way. You can't lose Mm
2: -hmm. uh, if
1: you do that. It's a win-win situation. And, you know, what we end up finding out is um, by doing those things, it it built loyalty within our employees that uh, is a bond that will never be broken. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that that sounds super valuable and I'm sure contributes very positively to the business model that you guys have. So it's great to hear. Um, Just to back up just a little bit, So I took a look at your LinkedIn, and it seems like you've added kind of to your academic experiences a decent number of times throughout your career, such as doing a management development program for entrepreneurs with UCLA Anderson School of Management, um, a program with Northwestern University, and another one with Dartmouth College and a handful of others. I'm curious what kind of encouraged you to return to learning um, in an academic setting and how you feel like those programs benefited you professionally
1: hell. It's lonely Mm -hmm. at the top. And um, there's not very many people I can go to in order to keep my finger on the pulse, Mm -hmm. to keep me sharp as a CEO. So um, going to those institutions of higher learning was and is essential for us to be able to uh, have that cutting edge and to understand what's going on in business. Because what I learned in college years ago, completely different than what's going on in our environment, and our business economy today. Mm-hmm. So keeping sharp and, and keeping with uh, the educators of, of these institutions has been clearly one of the reasons that we have been successful, and, um, and I would encourage that with, with anyone. Education doesn't stop when you leave high school or when you leave college. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, when you, you get your master's degree or your PhD degree, you constantly have to be uh, sharpening that saw, you know, those seven habits of highly effective people the, the, one of the key elements are sharpening the saw. And all they're saying is, is just keep getting educated, surround yourself with smart people, smarter people than you.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: don't be intimidated by that, because that's what's going to help you learn. And that's what's going to help you grow.
0: Yeah, I love that approach of kind of lifelong learning and seeking out opportunities to learn. That's great advice. Do you feel like for new entrepreneurs or college students who are interested in starting their own business, if those types of um, courses and programs are essential for for kind of starting out versus sharpening the tools?
1: Well, um, for young college graduates that have a burning passion to start a business immediately, the answer is yes. Um, you still need to keep yourself surrounded by smart people, educated people that will keep you sharp and will keep your finger on the pulse of what business you're going into. For me, um, I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to be a really good entrepreneur,
2: mm-hmm. And I
1: knew I, was, I wanted to work for major corporations and I wanted to rise up that ladder. But, um, but I didn't know I, wa- I, I, was, I was going to be an entrepreneur until, like I said, that Father's Day Sunday right. <laughs> when, it, when it hit me like a stack of bricks. But uh, I, I think it's, it's super critical that you learn the basics, obviously, uh, uh, mm-hmm. when you come out of high school or college. And um, basics of running a business, uh, you know, are the four P's, which is, you know, the product, pricing promotion and placement it's understanding having a general understanding of accounting because if you don't know where your money is you right. get... <laughs> that's a, that's a real easy way go yeah, it's a real easy way of going out of business <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and and that constant uh, rejuvenation of education is is absolutely critical. Don't think that once you've left school it's over. it's only the beginning
0: mm-hmm. yeah I love that. I was also told that you're a performer and have been on TV shows earlier in your life. (laughs) Who told you that? (laughs) And um, you're currently a board member with the African-American Shakespeare Company, which is really awesome to learn about. Could you share more about the performance arts facets of your career journey and um, some of your past experiences with that?
1: Yeah, sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know, I'm, I'm a little bit of a ham. Um, I, again, I'm I'm very comfortable being around people, and mm-hmm. and I do have a gift of gab. So um, studying acting is something that I did in high school and in college, and then of course when you come to La La Land, <laughs> Los Angeles, everybody wants to be an actor, right? So mm-hmm. I I pursued that. I I was on a few notable. Television shows like um, uh, Punky Brewster. Uh, I was on Young and the Restless. Uh, I was the assistant district attorney for Matlock on on that TV show, and I did a lot of uh, stage acting as well, plays, and um, and I, I enjoyed doing that. It was my hobby, uh, those type things, and you know, it helped me develop a presentation skill, a presentation style that was uniquely mine and not made up. So what you see right now is me crafted because I know how to give presentations and uh, I know how to throw a, a lot of my personality into what I'm doing. A lot of smiling, (laughs) (laughs) and um, uh, but but backed with knowledge backed with facts backed with truth Mm -hmm. and those were the things that allowed me and 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 again allowed me to build the confidence that I could do this thing as long as I believe in the product or the service Mm
2: -hmm.
1: of the company that I work for or the company that I've developed I'm confident I'll be successful confident Mm -hmm. Those things helped me. They were uh, some of the secret uh, sauce that I have in in the success of Maurice Brewster and, and, and my company.
0: Yeah, again, I love how you are able to kind of connect the dots between your experiences and, you know, in reflection, bringing up kind of what you gained from those varied experiences. So that's really cool to hear. Would you say that at one point you were really passionate about performance arts or still are?
1: Um, I so, boy, that's a tough question. Good mm-hmm. question. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I am not actively acting
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> anymore, uh, although uh, in my church uh, for eight or nine years, um, uh, I did an Easter play and a Christmas play and, mm-hmm. and I, I was key roles in, in, in those. So I kept my, my finger in the yeah. Pie, so to speak, uh-huh. but um, <laughs> but no, not not as far as pursuing any acting, uh, professional acting. No, uh, the last thing that I did was Matlock,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Matlock, and again, I was the assistant DA uh, for the show, and uh, I chose to stay in corporate America because I felt as though uh, that was a solid track of uh, of something that I can control, as opposed to acting. Other people have to like you
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: in order for you to get a role. And, and I felt I could control my, my success mm-hmm. of my career doing that. Now, you look at Madlock; it went on for 11 seasons.
2: <laughs> I don't
1: know. <laughs> but no, I'm happy that uh, the path that I took and the fact that I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think sometimes myself included folks think that you can only have like one passion or one calling, but I have to remind myself all the time that that's not always the case. Even for myself, like I'm passionate about food, but I'm also passionate about college access and youth empowerment. Uh, Like both of those things can be true. And sometimes I struggle and I know our students sometimes struggle with not only identifying a passion, but Also, how to balance kind of your passions and what makes the most sense financially when considering a career or how to spend your time. Um, So when you did walk away from acting and kind of made that choice to continue on in corporate America, um, what was that decision making process like for you? And do you have any advice that you can share with young college students or just new grads who are trying to navigate that themselves?
1: You know, keep keep all options open. Uh, especially when you're young in your career, who knows what the pathway is going is to take you. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, be open, keep uh, the, the irons in the fire, because uh, I had no clue, again, that I was going to be an entrepreneur for 20 years. I've been doing entrepreneurship longer than I've done anything mm-hmm. in my career. And that wasn't the path that I took. I was going to be a corporate executive um, and and moving up the ranks and uh, maybe up to a president level and and running an an, an organization that somebody else owned. Right. So keeping all options open was was good for for me. And I would say it would be good for the uh, the students. As far as why I shifted, um, back in the 80s, Now I'm telling you how old I am. (laughs) Back back in the 80s, um, there was a serious issue about Hollywood taking black and brown actors and actresses seriously. Mm -hmm. They were relegated to parts that were demeaning. They were uh, gangsters and drug addicts and thieves and murderers in this entertainment field of acting and some prominent Black actors and actresses who were serious about this. I mean, this is what they did all their life. They couldn't get jobs. They couldn't get serious, meaningful jobs. Mm-hmm. So in me looking at this, saying that, you know what, I, I like acting, but it's not really what I went to school for. and It's not really what I wanted to do professionally. I just did it because I was in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. everybody <laughs> wants to be an actor in Los Angeles. So So I made that decision to say, you know what, if they're having issues and problems, getting serious roles, leading roles, uh, and I'm no Sidney Poitier, you know, I'm no uh, Cicely Tyson, uh, uh, you know, so if they're having issues, since I'm not committed 100%, I probably would have issues. So then I made the decision to stay corporate America. Mm -hmm. And thus, my path has gone the way it's gone. But um, that was why I made the decision to, to shift away. And again, back to what I said originally for your question, Caitlin, is that keeping all options open is key. Don't, don't shut it down. Keep it open.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and look at also-
1: you. you should be on on 60 minutes. I mean, the questions you ask, I mean, that's some pretty great questions that you're going with. Uh,
0: I appreciate that. Thank you. No no problem.
1: I'll call, I'll call uh, Scott Pelley and tell him he needs to (laughs) add you on as as, a correspondent.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. This has been a really awesome learning experience for me too. So (laughs) I'm glad you think my questions are good. So, of course, you know, in addition to being a board member with the African-American Shakespeare Company, you're also a board member with SRA. Um, And I'm wondering what originally attracted you to SRA and why you decided to become a board member.
1: It's pretty much what has driven me to choose the boards that I choose to serve on. And they usually go back to the development of kids. I didn't have a dad in my life. My mom uh, raised me. She worked multiple jobs in order to keep me in school, private schools in New York. So I didn't have a male uh, role model. And my mom was working all the time. So she didn't have a whole lot of time to work and develop me either. Mm -hmm. But what I did have was mentors. What I did have was people who took an interest in me through organizations that I was a part of in Harlem. And I know unequivocally that part of my success came from me being mentored um, and being groomed and being guided and being shown what it's like to transition from being a kid to a young man, to an adult, to a, a, a parent, to you know, all of the things that you go through. So that's why I volunteer. Uh, my time to organizations that are focused on development of kids, um, teenagers, young adults. And I'll continue to do that because I know my success came because somebody helped me. So my job, I know for a fact, is to help others wherever I can.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful. Like a real um, full circle kind of journey, which it I is. love. It is. Yeah. It is. Kind of along... Um, that same vein. So, I have some closing questions that I like to ask guests every episode. So, the first closing question is What's the best advice you've received? So, it can be from one of those mentors you're talking about or whomever.
1: Well, like I said, I'm a, I have a gift of gab.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: and um, I didn't have a problem talking and expressing myself uh, when I probably shouldn't have, or mm-hmm. when I probably should have listened more. So one piece of advice that I received that um, I remember to this day is that God gave you two ears and one mouth. So Mm -hmm. do a lot more listening and internalizing what people are telling you before you rush to use your mouth and speak. And by being a good listener, that develops some skills that allows you to be able to uh, learn, It allows you to ask intelligent questions and allows other people to see that you are paying attention and listening to them, Mm -hmm. which makes them become more endeared to you. So you got two ears, one mouth.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. And then the last question I have is, what's the best advice you could give to your younger self?
1: To my younger self?
0: Jeez, these are great questions. (laughs) I'm glad okay. You
1: wow. Um my younger self, I'm a passionate guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I um I tend to go with my gut more than analytics. And what I would tell my younger self is that although you may seem like you are successful older Maurice versus younger Maurice. Well, how much more successful would you have been if you had paid closer attention to details and not necessarily act upon your gut or act upon your feelings? I think if I had done that better, maybe our company, instead of being a $20 million company, maybe would have been a $50 million company by now, who knows? But I, I know the younger Maurice should be more analytical in his thinking and not less impulsive in his actions. Yeah, and I don't ever great. want you asking me any more questions. <laughs> you're going to have me, you're going to have me like, like, uh, what's her name? Barbara Walters crying over here. on You got to stop this.
0: <laughs> We're Good actually stuff. almost at time. So this works out perfectly, but that's great advice. I think yeah. there is like a balance between trusting your gut and kind of taking in all the information you can um, access at the time
1: but yeah you know and, and, yeah. and if I could throw out one other thing um, mm-hmm. because uh, where I thought you were going with the question was uh, lesson lessons learned from being an entrepreneur and what I will tell you is again as an entrepreneur if I had to do it all over again 20 years ago I would have developed a relationship with a bank early mm-hmm. because the best time to have a relationship with a bank is when you don't need the bank. Mm. But when you need the money and now you're rushing to develop a relationship with the bank, it's usually harder to come by. So as a as an entrepreneur, if I had to do it all over again, I would have established a relationship with my bank. I would have had a personal relationship with the banker so that he or she would have known what our company was, what we were about, how we were developing, so that they could walk along that journey with me when it was I needed large sums of money for investment to take the company to that next level. I didn't have that. And my process uh, was delayed because of that. So that's some advice I would give young, budding entrepreneurs
0: yeah that's great advice got like little bonus little bonus um (laughs) advice there thank you so much for sharing that and again thank you so much for your time it's my pleasure In our next episode, we're joined by SRA board member, Walter Stewart. Walter is the co-founder and CEO of MedCurio, Inc. Tune in to the next episode to learn how Walter made his path. The How I Made My Path podcast is a program of Students Rising Above, a nonprofit organization working at the intersections of racial equity, education, and workforce development to create transformative change for low income first generation students. This podcast and all the services provided by SRA would not be possible without the generous support of our donors. Please consider making a donation to support our work by visiting studentsrisingabove.org where you can also learn more about SRA. For more information on our podcast, check out at mypathpodcast on Instagram. Music created by SRA alum, Alex Arango. And that's it for today. I'm Caitlin Endo. See you next time.